Welcome to WKXL in the Morning. I'm your host, AJ Kierstead. Let's get the latest New Hampshire government news with the friends of the New Hampshire Bulletin. Get the articles at NewHampshireBulletin.com. They join WKXL in the Morning every Friday, and this week's senior reporter, Anne-Marie Timmons, joins the show again. Welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So you're the busiest woman in New Hampshire journalism today, it seems like. So uh, we had to move a couple times because things just kept popping up in the news. And uh, let's start off with actually an article that just came out a half hour before we're recording this segment. It looks like uh, Governor Sununu is catching some flack for his appearance on the podcast Three Martini Lunch. Yes, he um, had a conversation with the host there. It was very broad, you know, wide ranging, talked about any everything. About 30 minutes in, they said, this is going to be the tough part. Let's talk about your abortion ban and the Roe v. Wade. And he started off in a way that we haven't heard him talk here, which is he said, listen, I'm the only Republican governor in 40 years to sign an abortion ban. I have done more for the pro-choice issue than anyone. So he very much here focuses on his pro-choice position. And he went on to discuss how he sees the state and himself, which he sees sort of in the middle of extremes on both sides, as he put it. Um, So he did go on to explain that a a bit, but he's going to immediately has already caught flack for that from the Democrats, from Senator Tom Sherman, who's gonna, is challenging him. We are gonna hear this clip again and again and again. It's going to be like the Howard Dean for the for the older ones of us that remember that yeah so this it was really a surprise actually when i first heard it i thought it was doctored i saw it on twitter and i thought he would never like this is not how he talks about it he's usually a smooth operator the fact he actually came out and kind of said the quiet part out loud is surprising well i it's interesting when you look if you start at the beginning of the clip the host says i saw that you issued a statement right after we saw that draft of Roe v. Wade being overturned. Um, You said that abortion will remain legal and safe in your state. Um, And then he said, people like me ground our teeth at that. So it kind of primed maybe the governor to speak about it in that manner than how he usually does. Um, But there will be more to come that flew around Twitter instantly. Um, And he, he, it's how he is. He talks off the cuff. It's sort of, um, it's what people like about him. He's very candid and chatty. He's not scripted. And sometimes this is what happens when he's not scripted. Yeah, I mean, he, he's stuck, He's stuck between a rock and a hard place right now with all the states going through what they're going to do now for state laws because of <clears throat> if somehow you've been living under a rock for the last week. Justice Alito had, a, had the majority opinion leaked in an upcoming case that's going to be overturning Roe v. Wade is the assumption say right now. Allegedly, we're still waiting the official opinion, but it seems pretty certain that's what's going on. The court has not said that the leak is uh, a, an old, like a completely out-of-date document or something that's not true at all. So governors are going to be in a rough spot here for the next few months, and good luck to any of them that are running in this November if you're on the Republican side of the race especially because um, there's a broad range of states that are in the fray. I mean, ultimately right now, Sununu is 
he's kind of in a middle of the road state. I mean, with it, I mean, it's six months. I mean, 24 weeks is a long span of time. It covers the first two trimesters. It goes mm-hmm. above and beyond what Roe was guaranteeing. It is. It, it does in some ways put us in the middle of the country for those who have abortion bans at some point in pregnancy. Ours is different in that some make exceptions for rape. Some make exceptions for incest. Not all of them have criminal penalties. I mean, a physician who violates this law here could be put in prison for up to seven years, fined up to $100,000. That is more extreme than we see in some other states. But if you look just at the cutoff at 24 weeks, um, that is sort of what we see everywhere. But I do think you need to look at those details, the exceptions. Uh, now, the governor did ask early this year uh, for lawmakers to pass a bill that would have added the rape and incest exception. Um, it looks like a bill adding an exception for fatal fetal diagnoses is coming to his desk, and it looks like he'll sign that. So that will be um, an expansion of the exemptions within there. But some of those other concerning pieces remain. And I think the thought is, if he if he keeps that law in place while he's governor, he's not going to be governor forever. And so what happens next? And I think there's a real fear that with a Republican wave, it might be the start of a chipping away at the 24 weeks and to 12 and six and so on. So that's the concern lying ahead. The majority leader did have a conversation with my friends at the journal, New Hampshire Journal, and he said, Republicans don't have an appetite at this moment to further restrict abortion. Um, So I guess we'll see. But right now we seem to be right in the middle in some ways in terms of states that do limit pregnancy um, some point in the trimesters. Yeah, and ultimately we're looking at all the recent polls because there's been a ton of polls that have come out in recent weeks around abortion, just in general what's important for uh, subjects around the upcoming election. Abortion is not on it. And I, I, in my honest opinion, as someone who's kind of a centrist on the whole subject, I don't think that's going to change. Like It's going to matter to the activist branches of both parties. Both part sides are going to be jumping at their politicians every which way to do it. Uh, it obviously seems like it's going to continue to be a state-level issue uh, with this. It, the uh, considering the uh, nonsense that the Senate put through that they knew was going to fail before it went up for a vote this past week. Um, I don't know. It, it's going to be messy going forward, but it seems like inflation is most likely going to be one of the bigger concerns in gas prices. I think that that's probably true. It, like you said, it will be an issue for some. We're seeing a lot of people sort of um, be motivated by this leak. There's rallies around the state this weekend um, and even tomorrow trying to rally support for pro-choice, um, for the pro-choice position. That's going to continue. So I think they'll definitely be um, engaged and um, sort of fired up about this issue, but maybe not enough to really be the issue. You know, I was talking to political folks early on when we didn't know if the governor was going to run for against Hassan or stick um, it with New Hampshire. And I was certain that um, abortion would be a big issue and it just wasn't getting any affirmation on that. And that, that does seem right. Like, you know, inflation is the thing that hits everybody and every time they go to the gas pump or to the grocery store. So that I, I think you're right. That's probably gonna be the larger issue for most people. 
So what else have you been busy with today, if not the last couple of days? Well, there's a lot of cheering at the state house today, for one thing. I don't know if you heard it, and it wasn't the ivermectin bill. It was dental benefits for uh, adults on Medicaid and expanded Medicaid. I had no um, awareness of this issue until the budget public hearing last year. And there were two top issues that people voiced concern for support for, and that was divisive concepts. They didn't like it and dental benefits for this population, which they loved. And the Senate revert, you know, didn't, they didn't get dental benefits through divisive concepts went through. And these dental benefits would do all of the preventative stuff that most of us do, the cleanings, the x-rays, surgery if you need it. But if you're an adult on Medicaid or expanded Medicaid, which is between 85 and 100,000 people, in the state, you can only get a tooth extraction done or some other emergency care where you end up in the hospital. And as one mom said, they still won't clean your teeth while you're in there. Like it's very, very limited. And, you know, oral care is health care. There's also a big workforce piece in this. People who have, you know, visible dental problems have a harder time getting work. And if you don't get work, you don't get off Medicaid. So this has had bipartisan support for some time. For one reason or another, it's always gotten hung up in some detail. It did go through today and the governor said he'll sign it. And um, the first three years will be paid for by a settlement that the state secured earlier this year um, against a company involving Medicaid pharmacy um, management. So the, the money's there. Uh, What's interesting is this is a initiative that will cost the state seven and a half million or less a year. So it's not big money because the federal matches are so generous. So the next thing we can talk about as it develops is how do you recruit dentists to take Medicaid or recruit enough of them? They have some real concerns about reimbursement rates. And if this population can actually show up for an appointment given transportation challenges or don't have time off. And so those are things that have to be worked out, but they did take a big first step toward that today. Yeah. Dental vision and uh, hearing care are, are these weird things that are so vital to people that are in compromised situations or elderly, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, mm -hmm. and the coverage of them has been so difficult to sort out. And it's and then added as you just mentioned added confusing aspect to it is that coverage because a lot of when it comes to especially those those big three they're for the most part independent they're not attached to hospitals they're not attached to Dartmouth Dartmouth Health or anything like that uh, Concord right. Hospital probably maybe has as hearing assistance but dental is very weird and outside of it like Delta Dental is like the only main provider I could, primary provider I can even think of that even does it in the private sector it, I know we have a different dental plan it's hard to find a dentist to um, that takes our insurance because of that. Uh, this will be a real game changer, I think, uh, for the state, for this population. There are some little pieces in there that the Democrats don't love. There's a copay for sort of non-preventative things for folks who are at 100% or, or, or more of the um, federal poverty level. Uh, there's a limit on some benefits, and this is one that really is upsetting to them. Not everyone will be eligible for dentures. Um, there will be 
it won't be the people who have quote unquote made a choice to do something that rots their teeth out. So you could fill in drug use or something like that there. So those people will not be eligible for dentures. So we'll see, that's probably gonna be a point that they try to expand and get or get rid of going forward. So. Yeah, that's sketchy. <laughs> that's that's oh. very that's the most polite way I could phrase that. Because I mean, ultimately, if you want to have people re-enter the workforce after addiction and anything like that, if if their teeth if they don't have any teeth, I mean, you can't do anything customer service related. How are they going to possibly trust you to be serving food, uh, working with clients? It, it really limits their employment opportunities. I think that's right. And I do think there's some room there to expand that. I think they'll revisit it. You know, we have so many employers in this uh, state who have signed on with to get official status as recovery friendly workplaces. They have, you know, they take the mindset that addiction is a disease and will help our employees through it. And so I do think there's widespread support to really see people in that condition as patients and not drug abusers. And so I, I think that I think there'll be some movement on that going forward, maybe next year. So it looks like there's also some uh, talk about making changes to um, people being in the vaccine registry. Yes. So if you are in the vaccine registry and you would like to get out of it, um, and that's probably not a ton of people, maybe because it's brand new. So your COVID vaccine may be in there. Um, so this registry is used by the state to um, sort of track immunization levels across the state. So if there is a, an outbreak, they can say, oh, in Grafton County, we know vaccination rates are high or low, and so we can respond appropriately. If you want your information taken out of that, which I understand is a tiny number of people, you have to submit a letter to DHHS, a form actually, and your provide your health provider must sign it. And the folks who are there's a there's a fair number of folks who don't like that. They feel like that's too invasive into their privacy. So there was a bill to take out that doctor's signature requirement. And essentially you could just write to DHHS and say, take me out. That's been changed. They put the doctor requirement back in. They've added an option of having a notary sign it instead. Um, why so is this think- so hard? Why Why do we need all these extra things? And I know I understand there, there's a little bit of carrot and stick. They want they want to have their registry and they want to have it be effective. But I can't think of anything else that requires such restrictions for just having your information on a list. And to, to take it to take it off, I think what they would argue most is that the vaccine registry is so important that before you leave it, they really want you to think about that. But they also want you to know that once you take your records out, your immunization records are yours to manage. There'll be no record of it in one place. And they want you to think about that. I think of it as like when you want go to delete something and then they say, are you sure you want to delete this? Are you sure? I think of it like that. Uh, so right now, doctor signature or a notary will get you out of the immunization registry. There's still a bill. If you are getting a vaccine, you can say, I don't want to be in it in the first place. And you will have to give permission to be in it going forward. So that bill, I'm sure, is headed to the governor's desk. He's indicated support for it. Does the doctor need to be your PCP or something like that? Or is it pretty vague? 
It has to be um, your current or former healthcare provider. And I do think that's particularly hard for people who don't have, have moved or don't have a doctor. And so I think the notary option is meant to make that a little bit easier. Yeah, for those for those that are interested, just look up your city hall or town hall. Odds are there's a notary over there you can talk to when it comes to probably that. yes. Yeah, the uh, but what's going to be a real problem with really any? I'm assuming a lot of Democrats primarily are in support of keeping the vaccine registry in place. It's generally speaking, the people have been in support of it, and some center right people that are healthcare conscious. The big issue with this registry going forward is the the fact that the COVID vaccines are ineffective after six months. I mean that has to be up for some of these discussions at this point. I, I wonder what, what that will look like. There there was a, during the pandemic, there was an emergency order that you weren't allowed to say, no, I don't want my vaccine for COVID in there. Um, so there was a bill to try to undo that. It kind of got watered down. So, you know, everyone's vaccine for COVID should be in there. And I guess what is useful, they would say about the registry is if I go and I don't remember where it is, or if I have lost my card because I got it at a place that didn't record it in some official way, how am I going to know when I was vaccinated last? How do I know when I get my next booster? So that, you know, the COVID vaccines are the big ones in there. And of course, the flu vaccine. And then we'll see childhood vaccines. That's a real um, that's a that's a main point of the vaccine registry, according to what we heard during the, the testimony, is that there's so many vaccinations during a young person's life. How do you make sure you're on track with those? And um, especially if you're moving around. So it's new. We're still figuring it out. The very few states are an opt in, which is what we would become. I'm actually not sure what the withdrawal process is the person, um, a lot of the folks this year have tried to um, get more liberty, get more freedoms over lots of decisions. And they've often cited this 2018 constitutional amendment that says, New Hampshire, we have a right to privacy. It's inherent right. What's interesting is the co-author of that amendment is for the vaccine registry. And, um, and they just don't, that doesn't, register with them or doesn't matter to them, but he has testified for the vaccine registry. He doesn't think it should be so hard to get out of it. Is that um, Buzz? It's no, it's his colleague, <laughs> um, oh. former representative Neil Kirk, who is Mr. Privacy. Yeah. And he said, you know, I had to balance health. This is a health tool, public health tool with, you know, your, your right to privacy. Um, so he would like to see the withdrawal option eased as well. I mean, it sounds like a fantastic idea for the age zero through 18 crowd that are trying to make it through schools because I can speak to personally the confusion, especially nowadays, or especially through COVID. My kid's eight. I had to go through all the, these school processes through COVID where you couldn't even go to the doctor's office to do anything because they turn you away. It, to have that ability for that young age range is, is really interesting. But as soon as they're out of the college age range, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to understand too much of the need for it anymore. I think for for personal reasons, that may be true. I think the state would come back to the public health tool. Like, how do we know where the most vaccinated or unvaccinated sections of the state? And then for also adult, maybe older people who need to know when they've gotten their boosters and maybe they don't remember or they don't have their records. 
Um, so I think that that's the piece that they think is most important for the post 18 um, crowd. Senior reporter Amory Timmons of the New Hampshire Bulletin, thanks for joining me. Thank you. More from them at NewHampshireBulletin.com, and I'll put links to the article description articles at NHTalkRadio.com, as well as the video and audio version of this episode as a podcast. You're listening to WKXL in the morning. I'm your host, AJ Kirsted. We'll be right back after this.